Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm William Hosea. Welcome to Bring It On, an award-winning show celebrating 12 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. And good evening, I'm Cornelius Wright. In today's broadcast, you'll also hear our perspective on what's relevant in the African American world of news and local events of interest, all in the next hour on Bring It On. First up, it's time for our world-famous Bring It On Roundtable. Periodically, we assemble our Bring It On crew for a deep dive into many of today's burning topics. And as always, there's never a dull moment in black America. That's right. Topics tonight will include discussions on Lynn Patton, a wedding planner, and new recent Trump appointee to head up housing and urban development for cities of New York and New Jersey. Charlena Lyles, whose name is now added to the list of questionable police shooting fatalities, this time in Seattle. Comedian, pitchman, radio, TV, and game show host Steve Harvey now joins the ranks of the tactless when he recently told a caller from Flint, Michigan to enjoy their nice brown glass of water. And on another bewildering front, tough-talking Sheriff David Clark, a wannabe Assistant Secretary of Homeland Security, withdrew his name from contention through the revelations of plagiarism. Rounding out tonight's discussion, we'll certainly weigh in on the recent acquittal of Geronimo Yanez, the Minnesota police officer who fatally shot Philando Castillo during a traffic stop last year. Then, of course, speaking of questionable rulings, there was the mistrial in the recent Bill Cosby court case. <laughs> I, you know, I really don't want to say this, but tighten your seatbelt as we go around the table tonight on these current topics of interest in the black community. Joining us for tonight's analysis are bringing on contributors, uh, Justin Crosley, and by phone, Eric Love. Eric, are you there? I'm here. Awesome. Great to hear from you it again. It certainly my is. Eric, you? how you doing, my friend? I am doing great. I wish I was there with all of you, but I, I'm glad we get to have this discussion. All right. It, it's great to hear from you. Well, we're going to start it off since you're on the phone and the guest from far away. We've got a lot of topics of discussion, and you know more than anyone what's going on in this world of events. Start us off with something, Eric. No, um, one of the things, there's so many things that are upsetting right now, but I want to talk about Sheriff David Clark. And I have to add, in his toy uniform. <laughs> you know, uh, of all the ridiculous, upsetting things I saw at the Republican National Convention last summer, he really infuriated me. And then the, the subsequent interviews where... Um, he dismissed black lives. I remember at the national convention, um, he announced that the police officers were acquitted in the Freddie Gray trial the, for the murder of Freddie Gray, and and he was yelling, "Blue lives matter," as if that somehow is a is a real thing. So yeah, officers' lives matter. I respect the police. Um, I train a lot of police officers, but there's a lot of uh, police brutality out there. So for him, as a um, sheriff to to speak 
so dismissively of a human life and to celebrate when police officers are acquitted um, for the mysterious death of an African-American male, I was so upset with him. So I'm thrilled that he had to pull his name out of the, um, you know, homeland security position. Um, and I'm not surprised that he cheated on his thesis. Well, you know, he, Donald Trump, the Trump administration never announced that he was offered that job. He did that. Uh, and then he subsequently withdrew his name. But I'm wondering <clears throat> if he was, uh, if what sank him was uh, the reports of plagiarism or the fact that he was under investigation for the deaths in his jail. Well, probably, right. probably a bit of both. Uh, and, and, and it's just really interesting. I'm wondering if a lot of the comments that he made during the campaign were to position himself for some type of cabinet position with Trump. You yeah, think, you actually wonder about that? Well, I mean, I don't know if he's smart enough to really think that far ahead to think of something like that. So, <laughs> I, I think uh, Trump values um, you know loyalty, and I think that David Clark is is very loyal and um, kind of I would say selling his soul, selling his um, his pledge as a police officer, um, and just as a, an African American male. Or blackmail, if you if that's what he prefers. Just uh, I think that he positioned himself for for uh, the job, but I also think that Trump didn't guarantee that he would get the job. But I, I think uh, depends on what mood Trump was in, whether he would have um, got a book or not. Well, Justin looks like he has some thoughts on that. What do you, what do you think, Justin? Uh, I think he's obviously always positioning himself for a position. Uh, within the Trump uh, White House. I think in the general sense, he's lost all credibility in a lot of communities. So somebody like that is going to be drawn at any straw that they can at this point in time. I, I kind of wonder if he's even lost credibility in, in the law enforcement uh, Absolutely. community. And let, let, let me say this about David Clark. His, I want to explain the reason why I say his toy uniform. Because as a military person, any accoutrements that you have on your uniform whatsoever all mean something. I could look at somebody, look at the awards and decorations, and I can tell you what their career means from start to finish. What David Clark does, if he goes somewhere to speak and they give him some kind of memento or, or lapel pin, he attaches that to his uniform. And there were, uh, there were several on his uniform just from, say, speaking engagements or just people who would walk up to him and appreciate his his uh, uh, licking Donald Trump's boots and pandering, and they'd give him something, and he's sticking on his uniform. So that's why I say he has a toy uniform. Right. Yes, well, that makes sense. Well, well karma is interesting. As, as he turned his back on his people, um, now, as, as William said, the law enforcement community is kind of looking at him as... Uh, the the person he is, uh, the Trump administration, and just I think the country now realizes what he is, and so in his attempt to demean his own race, he's basically uh, shot himself in the foot. We we all remember Pastor Mark Burns, right? I mean, you don't remember Pastor Mark Burns? No. Nah. Oh, he um he kissed Donald Trump's ring probably more than anybody that I could think of uh, during the whole election cycle. And he was eventually brought down because he lied about his uh, his pedigree. 
he did not I, I forget what university it was but he did not have a a a uh, degree from that university and I can't remember Eric you remember anything about Pastor Mark Burns yes absolutely he was uh, one of the first African-American pastors to come on board with Trump um, he first started convinced trying to convince his own church to uh, to vote for Trump and then he he became a national spokesperson he was the blackface of Trump's campaign uh, but yeah it was found out that he did not have the credentials that he stated on his resume um, he was looking for a cabinet position too, and uh, it found out that he he lied about his degree. I can't remember what university. We could I could probably Google it and look it up before the end of our our set section. But uh, yeah, and he fell quickly. And Trump didn't try to save him. Like they they just distanced themselves from him right away. In this day and age, how would anyone even attempt to falsify their records with so many ways to fact check? I just don't understand how someone could be so short-sighted. Well, you know what? All I can say is a certain person plagiarized Michelle Obama's <laughs> speech. So, so maybe they thought that was their yeah, end. <laughs> if, she can, if she thinks she can get away with it, then, you know. Else get, yeah. uh, well, I would, I would say that wasn't her fault. The speechwriters did that. Absolutely. They're, they're at that level, though. And, you know, sp- speaking of Dave Clark, it, it kind of goes into one of my little pet peeves, and, that, and that's the Philando Castillo verdict. Um, I, you know, I, I smile a little when I hear that a lot of these officers are going to be are facing trial, and I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be the one. And time after time after time, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the videos, no matter what, these officers are getting a pass, unless they're black. And then all of a sudden you find police officers getting charged for manslaughter or or murder. But um, it's something that is really getting under my skin. I truly don't know what we can do about it, but it's something that's very bothered. It it bothers me greatly. Yeah, it was um, that was absolutely heartbreaking all over again. Uh, And I don't know if you saw The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. That the night that uh, the police officer was acquitted in the Orlando Castile case, but um, yeah, that that was one of the most moving and emotional um, discussions about that acquittal that I've ever seen. And uh, he she just said, finally, we had it on video. Uh, actually, what what was really poignant about um, that was Orlando um, Castile hat was a gun carrying American. He legally had a firearm, you think the NRA would have been all over that in defense of Philando, right? He's, he's an American carrying a gun, and he was shot by the police officer even after he disclosed that he had a firearm legally. But it was silent. The NRA should have been, if that was a white person that was shot by the cops for having a firearm or for disclosing that they had a firearm, the NRA would have been all over it, talking about the right to, to bear arms. But the NRA is the right to bear arms if you're white. Correct. Right. They they right. were absolutely silent, um, and it, it doesn't make it any less painful. Um, you know, it, it's still a painful situation. We had a, a good brother in the community. He was an excellent worker. The kids loved him where he worked. He was generous. He was compassionate. He'd been pulled over tens of times in that neighborhood where he worked, um, and it, it was just a pattern. And ultimately. Um, you know, it, it ended in his death for no other reason than he was black. 
Go ahead, We're, Justin. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I remember me and Cornelius, I think we first met in the wake of the Orlando Castillo. So when that happened, it was kind of a summation of all the things that had happened previously, all the instances. And we were sitting there with groups of uh, individuals, um, all mourning it in their own way. A lot of people felt that there was pain, suffering, and really no hope. And I think I had a conversation with you, and I said the only thing I had at this point is hope, because where else can it go from here? It has to go better. But now that we've seen the trial, we've seen what happened, I still have that hope, but I actually have a more stronger belief that there is going to be something different. Because at this point in time, with so many things that have happened, and now seeing the trials happen and the judgments that have came down with it, all of us have to be at a point where it's going to bring us into our own power to do something ourselves. We can't sit back and look at these things happen and not want to do anything more at this point in time. The pressure's on. The pressure's on. has you, to be. You know, um, Alton Sterling and Philando Castile were, were days apart. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, I think that's exactly what it was. Yeah. And uh, at least uh, Officer, what's his name, Yanez, went to trial, but the two cops that killed Alton Sterling were never charged. Now... But his, his family did get a settlement. Not that it, it wasn't justice, but they did get a settlement for his for Sterling's death. Yeah. Which I always wonder, you know, if if the officers did nothing wrong, why was there a settlement? You know, that that, that one always gets me. How, how do they explain that? Well, one reason I think is because the, oh, we lost Eric. The standards for uh, a civil conviction are much less. Than yeah, a, much more lenient than, than, than for a criminal conviction. But what I was going to say is, uh, Two things. So we have no con- uh, a not guilty verdict in, in the case of uh, the Philando Castile shooting. Uh, but yet you have a Louisiana officer, a black man. Exactly. Convicted in the shooting death of a six-year-old autistic boy. You know, which was by all accounts an accident, but, but no less tragic. Uh, so you have an officer convicted of killing an innocent unarmed civilian but only in the case of a black man. So some people might say, well, Michael Slager in South Carolina got convicted. Yeah, but it was a mistrial the first time, a hung jury. And then he plead, he he pleaded to uh, a lesser charge. Yeah, to a lesser charge. Now, another note that I wanted to bring up was the case of a uh, young man who shot a police dog. And he got... 34 years for shooting a dog you know, by some accounts there's 45 years and then I read some 34 years but still he shot and killed Jethro now that being said and I understand how crazy it is that a human life seems to be uh, worth less than a dog but those animals are deemed as officers of the law so, but <laughs> was that Eric we Eric, got Eric back? back yeah I'm back okay right. we lost you for a second there <laughs> Uh, what was the last thing you heard, Eric? Before I, I got lost, I was talking. <laughs> but oh. I think we can just pick up where we are right now. Okay. So I, I do understand the value of a police dog. So I would say that we value pets and animals more than oftentimes black fives anyway. Is that the three-fifths you think they were referring to? 
<laughs> well, in either case, a police dog is property. Right. You know, cut and dry is yep. property. Yeah. So, uh. Yeah, you know, if, uh, when the, the dentist killed the lion, you know. Yeah. He's all over the lion thing, whatever he was. The whole country, almost the whole world was in an uproar that the lion had been killed. I, I was upset by the lion. Cecil or the lion. Um. Whenever a, an animal is is killed, people are in an, are born in uproar about an animal than they are about a, a black life that is lost. They closed Ringling Brothers Circus because the animals were being mistreated, but they haven't closed one jail because a black man is being mistreated daily. Hmm. That's a that's a hell of an analogy. <laughs> hey, <laughs> have you guys ever heard the analogy of a spider comparison to black men? I have not. Black lives. So to break it down simply, the idea is that the way that black men uh, in this culture, in this society are looked at as if we're predators, as if somehow, no matter what, no matter what clothes we put on, what voice we have, what dignity within the community that we have, we are looked at still possibly as the person that could turn and be a predator much like a spider, not like an animal, not like a lovable dog or a pet, but more like a spider. The idea is that the analogy sort of goes to speaking of when you are assumed to be that all the time, when your life ends or is extinguished in some way, shape or form, that's how a lot of people perceive it. Now, I think the thing that we don't talk about here in open forum so much in America is that though it is a community outside of ourselves, outside of the black community that looks at us that way. I got to say that sometimes even we look at ourselves that way, too. We look at those that I might be in a neighborhood in Gary, Indiana, many times with my wife and just think safety of my children or people that are coming towards me. And it's a thing that we all think about. And that's the problem that we all have. We're trying to eradicate what we have generally called racism for years, but maybe it's deeper than that. You know, I, I agree with what you said, but I want to ask you a question. Yeah. If you were walking in Indianapolis mm -hmm. and a group of ball-headed, heavily tattooed white folks were walking in your direction, what would your feeling be? That's a more, uh, for me, right, that's my spider, right? That's mm -hmm. the thing that I look at as something that could cause me danger. Well, and we you, all have those prejudices, and it's okay to talk about them, but we have to understand why they're there exactly. and how do we actually wrap our minds around reconciling what this is in front of us as opposed to thinking it's a threat. You know, we, we really need our friend uh, Ruben Marte and, and the Dernal Brothers to come on and talk about this again. But, hey, Eric, are you still there? I am. Okay, I'm going to shift from black males being killed by police to black females. Uh, Charlena Lyles. Yeah, uh, fatally sh a pregnant woman who was fatally shot by police, uh, who claimed she confronted them with a knife. Now, even if, okay, let, let's let's give them that. Charlena Lyles actually called the police. They show up at her home and she confronts them with a knife. Um, pregnant again, and and she's shot and killed. What does that say about uh, those who protect and serve and how they respond to people with mental issues? Well, they're, they're underprepared. Um, they don't have the 
right training because that's they've killed uh, a lot of white people that had mental illness. They don't know how to, you know, they don't have the proper training. The police don't when it comes to mental illness. Um, you would think uh, you could do a non-lethal shot, shoot someone in the kneecap. Yeah, or even just in the meaty portion of the thigh. Yeah, that would put me down. It, it, I mean, I'm not going to argue with you after that. You know, we've had several officers on the show, Eric, and, and I've asked them the same thing. Has training in the police academies changed over the years? Um, there was a time they had hand-to-hand different type of combat. Um, you've got a billy club. You've got stun guns. You've got rubber bullets. You've got So why does it always have to go straight to fatalities? This is a pregnant woman. If you're a trained police officer and you cannot hand-to-hand handle a pregnant woman or with a baton or anything, you don't need to be on the force. I'm so tired of hearing the excuse, I was afraid. I felt threatened. You're in the wrong job if you look at a person and by the looks of them, you are afraid to where you have to shoot them. And you're right, they are not trained. And I don't think until there is some standard training across the country, and I mean that's with psychological training also. I I asked asked officers, after three or four years when you've been on the force and you've basically been in a combat zone for three or four years, do they have any psychological training to see if the officers have changed over those years? And they said no, not unless there's an incident. There's no, there's no proactive thinking. There's no proper training. They send them out there with their prejudice and fears, and we're the ones that end up dead. And to, to have a lethal reaction to any issue um, is absolutely shows that you, you don't value that human life. Right. I, we've all seen videos of cops fighting with a white guy, and the, I, I mean, I've seen so many of them where they don't they don't shoot him. They try to uh, subdue him. The guy beats up three cops up and runs away. Yeah, and never never shot. Yeah, and you know, a black guy is running away from the cops, and they felt their life threatened, so they shoot him. So it, it does come down to how much they value a black life. And for a pregnant woman, there there's definitely other options they could have done. I know a, a police officer here at Notre Dame Security Police. He told me when he graduated from the academy, and it was several years ago, he said that the commandant, whoever it was, says, you now have a license to kill. You're an officer of the law. You have a license to kill. And he said that um, just took him to the, his core. That shook him to his core, and he vowed he would never use um, that, that license kill wow so he said that and and didn't provide any qualifying remarks to follow up on, on right. a statement like that right so but but the officer who, who was a friend of mine he said that he vowed at that point he that lethal would be his absolute last option there's verbal there's hand-to-hand combat there's less lethal things a baton or stun gun or whatever um but he said that yeah because he values all human life so <clears throat> there's a couple of other things that we wanted to touch on this let's, evening. Let's go to a lighter note. How about some comedians? Yeah, that's what I was going to do. <laughs> I don't know if it's lighter. <laughs> Steve Harvey. It's still upsetting. <laughs> it is indeed. What's that, Steve Harvey? Yes. Yeah, what about his, uh, his remarks uh, uh, on Flint, Michigan? So I, did, I read remarks. I didn't actually see a video or hear it. 
it's just disturbing. It's it's too soon. I don't know. Um, there's just no. It's it's just not appropriate. There's so many things that we can laugh about. He can talk about himself a little bit. Yeah. Um, that's always a, a good go-to. But to tell someone to enjoy drinking their brown water and Flint, uh, water that is poisoned, poor people, African-American communities for at least two years now, it's just not, that's not open for, for jokes. In my opinion. And, I, and I, ha- I don't have a filter. <laughs> I don't have much of a filter. So um, almost everything is open game for me, but not, not something like that. Right. Children who have been poisoned from that water. Absolutely. It was done, and it was done intentionally. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I like Steve Harvey. I think he does a lot of good in the world. But uh, that certainly was inappropriate. I think he, if he didn't apologize, he certainly needs to. I have not heard any reports of an apology yet. But on the other hand, Steve Harvey... Um, there, at least from, from my view, there seems to be a little bit of a pattern with this insensitivity. It was a couple of years ago I was watching a video. Uh, Steve Harvey was at an event, and they were presenting awards to uh, educators and to students. And there was young one young brother that got up, and he spoke with a little bit of a lisp. And he was presenting some awards, and as soon as he started talking, Steve Harvey lit into him. And you could tell the brother was embarrassed. He didn't crack a smile, but the audience was laughing. He didn't crack a smile. He just continued to present the awards. And then he went over there and sat down and did say a word. And Steve was still talking about the way that he spoke. And then there was another time on Steve's uh, game show, uh, Family Feud. Yeah. You know, Steve, he, he was talking and cracking jokes, and he referred to one of the contestants as a stupid ass. And and both families just kind of laughed it off and went along with it. But, you know, I'm sitting there with my mouth open. You have to be really sensitive. I, there's a fine line, as Eric said, for, you know, open season and, and, and dealing with people's feelings. Um, you know, definitely Flint was out of line. And, and yeah. you know, uh, we, we got on Donald Trump when, when he uh, made fun of the uh, handicapped individual. And there's just some things that aren't funny. And I don't know if the money's gone to his head a little bit, but. You know, there's backlashes. There, there's consequences for your actions. So he'll, we'll see what happens. I was just going to say, I, I think Steve Harvey, the thing that is most uh, detrimental about that statement, it's the things that are not only happening in Flint, but the things that are still happening in Flint. And the things that are also happening in other communities like Flint. That's right. not a laughable matter, period. And it might be something that many communities, maybe our own communities, might even face. Yeah, the historical... Um, significant. So Flynn is just just yet another one that happened. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they go unnoticed, but, you know, polluting water, putting a factory in a poor neighborhood. It might be a poor rural neighborhood um, with white people, but <clears throat> it happens, you know, powerful prey on the, the weak and the poor and people who don't have the political clout to stand up for themselves. Uh, and they thought they could get away with doing it in Flynn. Um and that's happened over and over and over again throughout history. So, yeah, no, a person of color definitely should have had the sense not to, to make a comment about that. And, uh, Justin, you're absolutely right. Flint was not the only community affected in that manner. But I think uh, Flint was just so much more egregious than the rest of them. Absolutely. And at least now you have certain government officials facing manslaughter charges uh, as a result of but that. But their water still isn't clean yet. Right. Correct. Yeah, that's right. A, exactly right. 
exactly. And going from one comedian to another, uh, the verdict on Bill Cosby. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, and I guess if there's going to be a further trial, that that was interesting, a verdict. Um, I don't know the racial makeup. I heard that there were two jurors that were adamant on holding out. And uh, does anyone have any more info or heard anything about that? Well, uh, I heard the same thing you did. But one thing I heard yesterday that kind of made me sit up and take a sip of my coffee is Bill Cosby is planning <laughs> to go around the country on a speaking tour, uh, advising young black men on how not to be, uh, what, what what is it, how not to be charged with sexual, sexual. assault. Yeah, that's, um, I, I think there may only <laughs> be, I think there may only be one of those meetings because I think the first <laughs> one will be the last one. And there will be one person in <laughs> yeah, one of those yeah, meetings and that'll be Bill him. Cosby. Yes. Yeah. A video uh, a, a, a photographer will probably be there also, but is the, is that the pot calling the kettle black? I mean, you know, well, I guess he he did get off. Not yet. Well, that's true. Not yet, because they're going to retry him. Uh, Justin, you look like you wanted to chime yeah, you in. You got a little that. smile over there. <laughs> I, there's there's many things I can say about the whole Bill Cosby scenario. Um, he's a hero to a lot of people. Yeah, you know. Uh, Dave Chappelle did a comedy special where he tried to make light of it, which I don't think was a good joke necessarily, but the idea that he helped a lot of people in different ways and then also this horrible, horrible, I, I can't even name, I have daughters, I have you know, sisters, I can't even understand somebody that would go through life to do that. But also that thing that we hold on to Bill Cosby that we love the most, it was an act. That, that's what he was, he was an actor. And some of those things that we... Grew up with, maybe inspired a lot of people to become doctors and lawyers watching the Huxtables grow up. A lot of people are, that are on his side right now, I think, are more enamored with that vision of something that wasn't real. With the TV and I'm, I work in TV, so but you, you know, make these images, you know. A 62-year-old black man, one of the questions, and I don't know what happened. I was not there. Nobody if if he did, I do not condone any type of those type of actions. But I find it very hard to conceive as someone that went through the 50s and the 60s that one black man, I don't care how much money you've got, was able to just rampantly rape that many white women for that many years and nothing happened. I find that very hard, hard, hard to believe. There was some women of color in the mix, too. Though. True. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. But the number of white women involved, it would be, yeah. I mean, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Eric? Yeah, I, I mean, boy, I don't know what to say. But I do, uh, that, that's an interesting point. You know, someone from the 50s and 60s, um, raping white women where, yeah. That, you looked at a white woman back then the wrong way. You know there were consequences. And I'm t talking rape, multiple rapes. I, I, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I, that would be that would be one for the records. It's hard to say if all those cases, you know, can be substantiated, but I feel strongly there's so many. There's so many that there has to be some truth in there somewhere. Yeah. Well, just yeah. statistically, it just kind of seems uh, undeniable that something happened with some of those women. If you look at the times, and again, I'm not, 
I'm just putting things in perspective. I understand what you're saying. The party atmosphere in L.A. in the 60s and the 70s, what was the mantra back then? Drugs, sex, and rock and roll. Um, So the party atmosphere back then, I think that if if Bill is getting charged, boy, there's a whole lot of actors in L.A. that that should be uh, uh, a little worried. But his allegations spanned... 70s, 80s, and 90s, too. Is that right? That is correct. Even No, uh, it's going into the 2000s. There's the, the, the one woman that uh, this trial was about. Wasn't that relatively recently? Yeah. Because the statute of limitations yeah. would... Uh, was it 17? Yeah, so it's, it, well, it's recent. Eric, we didn't... Uh, we got, I think we're down to two minutes. We did not get to talk about Lynn Patton, uh, uh, who's Ben Carson Jr., <laughs> Yeah, well, at least Ben Carson did have a medical degree and a yeah, yeah, incredible career while he was still sane. So uh, while he was still sane, did you say? <laughs> <laughs> Those days are over. He is somebody to be revered and someone to be respected. He he had an amazing career. Um, I think that um, yeah, I think there. I don't know. He certainly is not that anymore. Um, but this woman was a wedding planner. Yeah. With and those credentials, we don't know how good of a wedding planner she even was. Um, but usually, Trump's uh, Trump's strategy is to find someone who hates a certain topic and then make them in charge of it. So someone who doesn't like energy, he puts them in charge of. You know, doesn't like clean energy, puts them in charge of of energy. Someone who um, is racist and doesn't really stand for justice, make them the the head of the Department of Justice. Right, and so, Betsy DeVos. But, yeah. And, uh, Lynn, exercise. So, Lynn, Lynn Patton was placed in uh, charge of HUD and urban housing and ur- urban development over New York and New Jersey. So, we can only assume that she planned a wedding in a house at one point. <laughs> and it didn't go well. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, but it- do, do people who live in housing projects have wedding planners? Good point. I didn't put it that way. I think that's a, that's a luxury for people with money. Okay. Well, I think we are just about out of time. Um, but, Eric, it was great to hear from you again. Yes, it was indeed. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, you're going to have to yeah, uh, make... My pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. We're gonna have, you're going to have to make a trip down to Bloomington here sometime in the near future and sit in on uh, uh, with us one day. We'll make it happen. All right. Take care, Eric. All right. Best wishes to you. Take care. Our thanks to bringing on contributors, uh, new contributor Justin Crosley, and by phone Eric Love for joining our roundtable on current topics of interest in the black community. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org.
history, scholars translating the Dead Sea Scrolls, some of man's earliest writings, have discovered a group of people never even mentioned before in history. It seems that these people, named the Assigns, believed way back then that Yahweh was the ultimate solution. You just heard Solutions by Dexter Wanzell, a timely musical message for 2017. A keyboardist raised in Philadelphia, he contributed, contributed to the development of the Philly sound, having worked with a who's who of collection of artists including Phyllis Hyman, The Jackson, MFSB, Teddy Pendergrass, Patti LaBelle, The Jones Girls, Evelyn Champagne King, Grover Washington Jr., and Lou Rawls, among many others. To keep up with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes at WFHB, you are invited to like the WFHB Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com and search for WFHB. Or you can always visit the WFHB News website at what else? WFHB.org slash news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Cornelius Wright. I'm William Hosea, and Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. It's time now to give you the latest perspective on the people, news, and issues affecting the black community. For Bring It On, I'm Cornelius Wright. I'm William Hosea. And, and you can uh, start off, off my brother. Oh, I'm more than happy because I'm going to start off with uh, a story about Amarosa Manigault. Now, you know, she has recently requested to be uh, addressed as the Honorable Amarosa Manigault. And, and I'm, I'm going to withhold my comments because uh, they, they promise to be inappropriate. The Congressional Black Caucus has publicly declined an invitation to meet with President Donald Trump and Amarosa Manigault. The director of the Office of Public Liaison Communications has harsh words for them. The invitation letter sent to the caucus was reportedly written and signed by Amarosa herself but Cedric L. Richmond, chairman of the caucus, has responded to Trump's meeting request. And here are some excerpts from his letter. As chair of the CBC, I write today to acknowledge receipt of your staff's communication inviting the Congressional Black Caucus to meet with you. In written communication dating back to January 2017, we have shared the priorities of the caucus as they relate to the black community. We are serious about the work of advancing the interests of our people and the goals of the CBC. As a result, we took advantage of every opportunity to educate you on the needs of the black community and provide you with the information and solutions necessary to act on them in good faith. Through an objective assessment, we have seen no evidence that your administration acted on our calls for action, and we have in fact witnessed steps that will affirmatively hurt black communities. While we agreed to explore possible future discussions when we first met, it has become abundantly clear that a conversation with the entire CBC would not be entirely productive given the actions taken by your administration since our first meeting. While you can solicit the engagement of individual members of our caucus, the CBC as a caucus declines your invitation to meet at this time. 
the end. Mm. What do you think, Justin? I think when you have a uh, an administration that has shown um, a lot of resistance towards issues that probably the Black Caucus uh, wants to fix, solve, or conclude, um, yeah, that's a strong stand for them to take. I don't know if it's necessarily the right stand. I think communication's good, but it has to be a stand in some way for them. Absolutely. You know, after he met with... Uh the presidents of the HBCUs yeah, and promised this, that, and the other and did not deliver this, that, and the other. Not only I, that, but came out and said it might be a discriminatory uh, right, right. educational system. I, I, I don't see how the CBC could have uh, in good conscience met with him at yeah. all. Indeed. The Supreme Court just unblocked part of Trump's Muslim travel ban. CNN reports that today the Supreme Court announced that it would hear President Donald Trump's revised travel ban and decide whether the president can prevent travel to the U.S. from six mostly Muslim countries. As expected, the president, who has the moral compass of a teenage boy, took to Twitter because nothing says leader of the free world like a president who posts on social media to take a victory lap after hearing of the decision. According to the New York Times, the Supreme Court would decide if the country should uphold the president's executive order which would limit travel from six mostly Muslim countries for 90 days and suspend the nation's refugee program for 120 days. Two federal appeals court previously blocked part of the president's order, which was handed down in March. The Trump administration asked the Supreme Court to stop the lower court, court ruling until it had ruled on the case. In an unsigned opinion, the high court agreed to stay part of the lower court's decision until it forms a ruling. The justices, in effect, said that foreigners with ties or relationships in the United States would not be, not be prohibited from entering the country, but those who were applying for visas who had never been here or who had no family, business, or other ties could be prohibited, the New York Times reports. CNN says that in as little as 72 hours, people from Iran, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen could be banned from entering the United States for 90 days unless they have a bona fide relationship exemption. And, and none of those countries have a business, or business relationship with Donald Trump. Am I correct? Correct. Uh, something else I, I heard today was pretty interesting. Uh, number one is uh, th Justice Kennedy is thinking about retiring, which, of course, would open up another seat. The second thing I heard was that federal appeals courts, uh, when they make decisions, it affects the entire country, right? So the Supreme Court, members of the Supreme Court now want to limit their uh, the jurisdiction that they have so that they cannot affect the entire country. Just uh, uh, they want to make their decisions regional or according to a certain district. I don't know. So, of course, that's a conservative thing. Absolutely. That's dangerous ground. It it's dangerous. Is. And I don't know if it's legal. It is. It'll and, be and, interesting. And another right wing conservative tactic and as long as they've got the the white house the senate and the congress they can make some of these uh outlandish rules and regulations that was a look at the african-american headline news from around the world for this week tune in again next week for the latest news on and for the african-american community we want to know what you think of current black issues send your comments to bring it on at wfhb.org for bring it on i'm cornelius wright 
I'm William Hosea. You are listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 FM on your radio and live on the web at WFHB.org.
You just heard Nights Over Egypt, sung by the Jones Girls and written by Dexter Wanzel. It's now time to bring you the events of interest in the black community. For, Cornel- for, for Bring It On, I'm Cornelius Wright. For Cornelius, for Cornelius Wright, Wright, you bring it on. Yeah, really, I almost <laughs> did that. <laughs> I'm William Hosea. And we have one uh, uh, Think Calendar event here. Neil Simons, The Odd Couple, the female version. Auditions are going to be held at the Monroe County Public Library on July 8th from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. and on July 9th from 1.30 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. Roles are open for men and women that can play late 20s to mid 40s. Please come prepared with two or three minute uh, comedic monologues. Headshots and resumes will be accepted but are not required. And the auditions are open to all, but they personally encourage people of color to come and audition. So that will be uh, on July 8th from 12 noon to 3 p.m. and on July 9th, and that will be at the Monroe County Public Library. Comedic dialogues. Are you going to read for that, Cornelius? No, I don't think I could uh, get into that 20 to 40 age group. Okay. So much for this. <laughs> so much for this week's calendar. If you have an event or happening the African American community should know about, please send that info directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard tonight, you can contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our thanks to bio contributors, our newest contributor, Justin Crosley, and by phone, one of our former contributors and co-host, Eric Love, for joining our roundtable on current topics of interest in the black community. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone, with help from WFHB News Department Director Joe Crawford. Our news editor is Michael Nolan. Our board engineering team consists of Joe Crawford tonight. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam, with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I am William Hosea. And I'm Cornelius Wright. Tune in next Monday, July 3rd at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.